So tonight we're going to be uh, starting out in the book of Romans. And Eric started the book of Romans and he went through chap- uh, verses 1 through 7 of chapter 1. And we're going to read that again, but we're really going to springboard off of verses 5 and 6 and, uh, and kind of talk about obedience. And we're going to be looking at five different scriptures dealing with obedience. So I hope you brought your Bibles or your phone with your Bible app because we're going to be using it. We're going to be jumping around quite a bit, but we will start in Romans chapter 1. If you need a Bible tonight, uh, there's Bibles in the back. If you're new and you're a visitor, welcome. And uh, we always have Bibles back there that you can use. It's the New King James Version. If you don't have your own Bible, you can actually keep that Bible if you'd like as well. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your, for your love for us. We thank you that we can sit tonight in, in this free country studying your word and, and learning of you. We pray that you would open our hearts and eyes to those things that you have for us from your word tonight, Lord, and that you would be glorified in, in the hearing of your word and that you would do a work in each of our hearts. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 1 and verse 1 says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now, if you were here this weekend, you might not have noticed that that verses 1 through 4 is one sentence. It's one sentence. As Paul is introducing himself to the believers in Rome, you see, he had not been there yet. He wrote this, we're thinking somewhere on his second or third missionary journey, and he hadn't been there yet. He wanted to, to go there, and he's introducing his, himself to the church there, to the Christians there. And, and what we read is, is pretty incredible. In one sentence, in four verses, we see that the gospel of God the Father was promised to us That his prophets from the Old Testament wrote those promises down and the promise of salvation in the Holy Scriptures. We're introduced here to the Son, Jesus Christ, who was born of the seed of David. So he checked that box of Messiah needing to be from the kingly line of David. David is Jesus' great, 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 39 greats grandpa. He's in his line. He checks off that box. And we see here that he was declared to be the Son of God, God himself, through power of the Holy Spirit. And by the resurrection from the dead. So in one sentence, we have the complete work of the Trinity in Jesus' plan, in God's plan for Jesus to come 
to die on the cross, to be resurrected, to have victory over sin, so that you and I might have victory over sin. One sentence, four verses. In verse 5, he says, Through him, through Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Now, who's we? He's talking about the apostles, those that were called, that had this special calling of obedience to go to all the nations. Paul and the other apostles, you see, he, he, he says this first, we received grace. We were a bunch of sinners ourselves, but yet we received his grace and we received this calling to spread the gospel to all the nations. You see, their obedience, their surrender to this calling revealed their faith. Look at verse 6. Among whom you, specifically in this letter, the Roman Christians, also are the called of Jesus Christ. So the Roman Christians are included here, but you and I tonight, if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then Paul was writing to us as well, that we are the called of Jesus Christ. Christians in Rome, you have a calling. You have been saved. You've been shown grace so that you might walk in obedience to the faith. To obedience to the faith. Our faith, you see, tells us that we were saved by grace. We, le we learn that from our faith. Paul, in Ephesians 2 and, and 8 and 9, he said this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But it also tells us that we're saved for obedience. Chapter, or verse 5 again, through him we have received grace and apostleship for something, for obedience to the faith among all the nations. In that same scripture in Ephesians, right after saying you've been saved by your faith, it's not, a, it's not of works, lest anyone should boast, Paul says this in 2 and 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Obedience to the faith. Obedience to walk in those good works. When we receive God's grace, we also receive a calling. Paul and the other apostles had the calling of apostle, a special calling to go to the nations. That was their good work. And they did it well. We are also called of Jesus, called to faith called to obedience of the faith, called to walk in obedience to that faith. You see, when James in chapter 2 says this, that faith without works is dead, I believe that that's exactly what he's trying to point out. That we're not saved by work. Salvation is a work of Jesus. None of us went to the cross. None of us could have paid that price. None of us could have done anything to cover our sins. That's 100% of Jesus' work. 
And yet faith in that work of the cross requires some obedience. Starting with, I have to believe it. I have to place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ for a pen of my sin and, 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 and you know, react to Christ's obedience. The Lord's calling also needs obedience. Wouldn't it be great if just every morning the Lord called you and said, hey, good morning. This is what you get to do today. No, but what he did say is he said, you can come before my throne of grace boldly any time of need. So if you need to know what you're supposed to be doing, it doesn't even take a phone. It might require me on my knees saying, oh, Lord, show me. This illustration is, is fairly easy to understand. To believe our sins are forgiven and continue sinning is not obedience to the faith. Would you agree? To, uh, to carelessly continue in sin after being forgiven of your sins is not obedience to the faith. Pa- Paul deals with this in Romans. Eric will deal with it in a few weeks. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound, since grace is in abundance through Jesus Christ? And he says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Romans 6, 1 and 2. We understand that. It's fairly easy. Can't continue in sin. That's why we work hard. That's why we get convicted of our sin and... Lord, help, help me. Help me to be an overcomer. I, I don't want to do something that you died on the cross for. And we work at it. But so, just as if we were to carelessly continue in sin, what would that be? Disobedience. It's just the opposite of, of obedience, right? But so is believing Jesus paid the price of my sin that I should have paid And then going and ignoring your calling. That's disobedience as well. That's not walking in obedience either. And it also robs us when we do that, when we kind of check out and just say, well, praise the Lord, I'm a wretched sinner. He saved me. I'm worthless, can't do anything. It robs us of the blessing of obedience. Because obedience to the Lord always, always brings a blessing. You can count on it. You can count on it. So tonight, we're going to look at what obedience does. And we're going to be in five scriptures, so we got to go at a pretty good pace. And we're going to pull out application uh, about obedience. And What we're going to see is that obedience saves us. Now, you hardcore Calvinists, be careful. Just wait with me. I'm going to to work that out for you. Obedience saves us. Obedience blesses the Lord. He delights in it. Obedience proves our love for the Lord. Obedience identifies us with Jesus. Obedience puts us in the right place and affirms our calling. We'll start in Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. 
Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. Again, Eric will be going through this on the weekend. He may even hit it again on a Wednesday night as he goes in depth. But we're going to kind of cheat and look at it right now. Obedience saves us. Now, Paul here is writing about Adam's sin and the result of Adam's sin. And he's comparing it to Jesus' work on the cross and that sacrifice and the results of that. In verse 17, he says, For by one man's, that's Adam, by, for by one man's offense, death reigned through one. Much more, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God resulting in condemnation. We're, before we're saved, we're living in this... Con- sin has, has, is, rules over us and brings condemnation into our life. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Justification of life is lining you up, justifying you with God's will. It's also, it's also allowing you to walk in his righteousness, which aligns you with all people as well. That's why the believer should always choose to be at peace with everyone as much as it pertains to them. Verse 19 And here it is. Here's the word. For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. We see when the law shines on my sin, it reveals it and and it's abounding. It's kind of like if you're, if you're driving at night and it's dark and you're going 85, wondering if it's 75, and, and your headlights shine on that sign that says 65, you're like, whoa, I am really going too fast. The law showed how much of a sinner I was. It also revealed how I could not keep that law. Righteousness had to be found a different way. A different way. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounds, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. As dark as sin is, as much as it rains in this world, always remember. And Christian, as much as you've even maybe let it rain in your life, unfortunately, and you've come in tonight, and you need to know that where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, much more powerful. So as ominous as that one sin of Adam infecting all of us is, 
What we need to remember as Christians is the one act on the cross made it possible for us to step into righteousness. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus gives us his righteousness. What a wonder. What a wonder. And we, you know, part of the reason why we don't like unrighteousness and we're not comfortable and we're not comfortable with our sin is this fact that we know as Christ paid that price and he gives us his righteousness, it's kind of hard sometimes to let him do that for us. But we must. Because you see, then we can go and we can say with confidence, when I come to you as a Christian, it's by Jesus. Don't praise me for what I'm doing. It's, it's because of my Lord and Savior. It's because, it's because when I was a wretched sinner, he saved me. What a testimony. What a testimony. As Jesus' obedience goes out and saves many, the many are now connected by being obedient to that faith. Someone in your life, a lot of someones, was, were obedient to the faith. First to get saved, then to go and do some things. And somehow God put them in your life. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was a brother. Maybe it was a sister. Maybe it was a coworker. Whoever helped bring you to Christ. You see, you are connected to their obedience to the faith. And you get to turn that around because Jesus wants to work through us to save others. He wants to save some through us. It's not our obedience that saves us. It's Jesus' obedience that saves us. And after salvation, oh yeah, we get, we get to go and be obedient and receive a blessing on top of it. So we, we're using his obedience in the first place, his righteousness in, in, in the first place, and, and we're getting blessed by the Lord because of it. We're getting blessed. Secondly, obedience, and if you'll turn to 1 Samuel, find 1 Samuel 15, and we're going to start at, at verse 22. Obedience blesses the Lord. He delights in it. That's the principle. 1 Samuel, you'll find it just before 2 Samuel. And First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. And if all else fails, look at your index. Praise the Lord for the phone app, huh? It's like, whoo, I'm there right now. I would encourage you all, don't forsake your paper Bible here at church. It blesses the teacher to hear the pages turning. Now, the Lord has told Saul, go out, wipe out the Amalekites, but do not take the spoil. Don't, don't take, I, I, not, not only am I bringing judgment on the people, but I'm bringing judgment on your, the land and the animals and everything. And for whatever reason, in God's providence, he says, wipe them all out. He doesn't always say that. 
But in this instance, he did. Don't keep any of the lambs or the rams or the cows or the chickens or whatever it is. I don't want you to do that. And, and, and you see, Saul went and, and did part of that. But he allowed the people to keep some of the spoil so that they could offer that to the Lord. We can't, you see, we can't, we shouldn't be offering something that the Lord that's out of disobedience, right? And so Samuel here is rebuking Saul for this. And he, and he says to him, so Samuel said in verse uh, 22 of, of chapter 15, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings as sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. And this gets to the heart of the sin of this, where Samuel says, For rebellion, Saul, this was rebellion on your part and the people's part. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as the iniquity of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul and the people thought they would be making God happy by offering some of this spoil to him, but they did not obey him. And let's face it, the heart of man is selfish. And I'm sure that in their stubbornness and in their rebellion, they were saying, hey, we want part of this barbecue as well. When we offer this, it's not all going to get wasted. We're going to to get to partake and not only that, I don't, have to use, I don't have to use my own lamb. I can use their lamb to offer to the Lord. Even more selfishness and rebellion. They did most of what he said, but made up in their minds what they really wanted to do. Now the principle here goes back to Samuel telling Saul, look, God has great delight in your obedience. Great delight in your obedience. Saul, at some point, could have went to the Lord and asked if this would be okay. I'm sure the Lord would have let him know. Maybe you're doing some church things. Maybe it's sacrifice. You tithe, you give of your time, you give some offering. But there's part of you that you're holding back from the Lord. There's part of you that really doesn't want to press in and say, Lord, you have all of me. You have all of me. Lord, and if you speak to me, I will. Sometimes we do that out of Fear. Sometimes we do that out of fear of, well, does, does that mean I'm not going to get to do what I want if I give myself to the Lord? He's never going to tell you to do anything that's not going to bless you. That's not going to bless you in the end. Remember, he delights in having all of you. He delights in us forsaking everything that he doesn't want for us. And he delights in us embracing all he has for us. 
I'll say that again if you're, if you're writing some notes. God delights in us forsaking everything he doesn't want for us. And he delights in you embracing all he has for you. And he knows his will for your life is the best place you can be. That when you enter into obedience, you're going to get that blessing. And you're going to know why you were obedient. And it's going to strengthen your faith. And along the way, it's going to bless some other people as well. Seek the Lord. If you're not sure about something, expect that in time, he will lead you in all obedience. Because he wants to delight in it. He delighted in your salvation. He will delight in every moment of your obedience. Number three, obedience proves our love for the Lord. Obedience proves our love for the Lord. Turn to John 21. We're going to start at verse 15. There's probably a scripture up there that says John 14, 15. It's a, it's a short verse, so you don't have to turn there. Go ahead and turn to John 21. John 14 and 15 was so simple that I, I absolutely had to put it in here because it illustrates this so well. Obedience proves our love for the Lord. Jesus is speaking to this, his disciples in 14 and 15, and he says, if you love me, Keep my commandments. If then statement, if you love me, then keep my commandments. If you love me, then be obedient to what I've asked you to do. Keep my commandments. Simple, right? The fact of the matter is, you and I being obedient and keeping the commandments shows and reveals our love for Jesus. And just the opposite when we don't. There's a lack of love if we just kind of ignore a commandment, if we just kind of ignore his word. Now, Jesus illustrates this even more in this passage that we're going to go over. And this is Jesus restoring Peter. After Peter has denied Christ uh, the night before he was crucified, and, and at this point... Jesus has resurrected. Jesus has come back from the dead. He rose again, and he's gone to his disciples, and he's, and he's talking to them and continuing to lead them and guide them. And here he's got to deal with Peter and Peter's denial and restore Peter. And, and in 21 and 15 of John, it says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now, that word is agape. It's a serving love. It's an obedient love, as Jesus was obedient to go to the cross. It's an obedient love. Simon, do you agape me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, Peter used the word phileo. It means great affection. It's, it's almost like best friends. I love you more than any. You are my best friend, Jesus. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Now, a lot of people will say that, you know, Peter here didn't use as strong of a word for love as Jesus did. Now, if you studied Scripture, you know Peter. And you know that he probably wouldn't do that. He'd probably actually try to one-up. I think in Peter's mind, 
He wasn't saying, oh, I, I, I'm just, I don't love you with just a serving love or an obedient love. I have a great, great affection for you. You, you are in my heart, Jesus. So, it's, so I think in Peter's mind, he, he was being more emphatic when he, when he used the word phileo. Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me, agape me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. We're best friends. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? He used the word phileo this time. Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? You think Peter was grieved because it brought back memories of all three denials? Do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Three times Peter denied. Three times Jesus asked him, do you agape me, Peter? Are you going to be obedient to me? Do you, do you phileo me? Am I your best friend, Peter? Peter, if you agape me and you phileo me, Peter, next time you have opportunity to be obedient to the faith, then do it. Then do it, Peter. Verse 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, Peter, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he, Peter, would glorify God. When he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. Peter came to understand agape when he gave his life to spread the gospel and he was obedient to the faith. It seems a little, just a little strange, put it this way. But those of us who have been saved by the gospel should be very thankful that each of the disciples was willing to feed and to tend and to die for us just as Jesus did. They loved Jesus by their obedience. We stand and we sing that I love you. We tell the Lord that we love him. We're thankful for salvation. I hope that all of us know that we can, we can love the Lord with our actions. And, and that that motivation to love and to love Jesus just starts to bring everything in place. Where I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to do, the thoughts I'm supposed to be thinking right now, the words that are supposed to come out of my mouth, the action that I'm supposed to take. Obedience proves our love for the Lord. Number four, 
Obedience identifies us with Jesus. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, you'll get to the small book of Philippians. Obedience identifies us with Jesus. Paul here is encouraging the believers in Philippi. Paul's in prison as he writes this, and and he knows that some of them are facing prison because of their uh, faith in Christ. He knows that things are coming against the the church, the Jews, the Romans, and and they're in a very precarious place at this time when, when he's writing to them. And he says, hey, if there's going to be any affection and mercy, and if there's going to be great benefit in being a Christian right now, Philippian church, then you need to do some things. You need to be of the same mind. You need to to look out for each other. You need to put others before yourself. Selfishness has to go. And then he gives this wonderful example of what that looks like. And it happens to be about Jesus. Look at verse 5 of chapter 2. Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What what a high calling. (laughs) I am to know Jesus so well from Scripture by spending time with him, by listening to his Holy Spirit, that in my mind that was reprobate before Christ, my mind starts thinking like Jesus. My mind starts wanting to be Jesus to other people. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, he was God, did not consider it robbery or a thing to grasp or to hold on to, to be equal with God, but he laid that down for a time, verse 7, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became, there's that awesome word tonight, obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Here is God himself, every right to his throne, every right just to wipe his creation out and start all over, but he makes himself of no reputation. He makes himself a servant. He humbles himself. And he's willing to die for us. Let this mind be in you. This world tells us to hang on to your rights, to look out for you, to look out for number one. And we might give of ourselves for someone who seemingly is righteous or someone we love. But what about giving ourselves and dying for that person that rejects us? That's what Jesus did for you and me. Let this mind be in you. So that when we turn that around, when we say, Lord, make me humble. Lord, make me less selfish. Lord, make me a servant. Lord, help me to be willing to die for the faith. We're immediately identified 
with Jesus Christ. Then if someone comes to you and gives you any kind of a, a, a blessing or encouragement and says, man, you're just, you're, you're just a person who loves people. You're just a person that's there for precinct. You're just a person who, ser- who serves people if, if they need to be served. Man, you're always just so, you know, right on and you calm things down and you speak encouragement and you speak wisdom. We can say with boldness, that's my Savior in me. Obedience identifies us with Jesus Christ. Lastly, number five, obedience puts us in the right place and it affirms our calling. Turn to Acts 16. Acts chapter 16, we're going to start at verse 6. Paul here is on his second missionary journey, his first missionary journey. He visited several cities, and and some of those cities he set out in his second journey to visit those as well. And, and, And yet, somewhere in his heart, and perhaps the team that went with him, their heart, they wanted to go north of that area or northeast into Asia, a place that they didn't go on their first missionary journey. And, and in uh, Luke records it, Acts 16.6 says, Now when Paul and the team, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. That was north, kind of northeast of where they were going. That's where they were wanting to, to push. But it says the Spirit... Uh, for, forbid it. Now, now it doesn't clarify. I, I have no idea how the Spirit did that. Could have been through just them not feeling like that was where they should go, whatever. I, we, we just haven't, haven't, hasn't filled it in. Verse 7, after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia again, an area that was kind of north of where they were at again in Asia, but the Spirit once again did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Macedonia, by the way, where the Spirit was pushing them, and at Troas, all they had to do was get on a boat and uh, cross over the Aegean Sea, and they would be there. They would be in that area of Macedonia. Verse 10, now after he had seen the vision, catch this obedience, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us So Luke, the writer, is including himself and the team, had called us to preach the gospel to them. That's obedience. And it's quick obedience. Paul, because of his obedience in Philippi, Lydia and her household get saved. A demon-possessed girl gets delivered. Paul and Silas get thrown in jail because, because of casting out that demon girl because she's no more profit to her owners in what she was doing. And, 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 and at midnight, they're singing and praising, and the prison doors get blown open. 
And you remember the jailer and his family got saved. And the first church of Jesus Christ was planted on the Eastern European continent. Do you think it emboldened Paul a little bit that he was obedient to the call? That he was listening to the Lord and he did it quickly? Do you think he figured out, man, Lord, this was awesome. You got me to the right place and it affirmed exactly what you want to do through me and through this team. Obedience affirms your calling and it'll get you to the right place if you're listening. No matter what we do in ministry, you can take part in that. You see, Luke's part in that was probably more than this, but he was just seeing and watching, and he, and he wrote this down. He gets, he gets the, the blessing of, of being obedient along with the team. So as I stated before, it's always a wonderful opportunity to do something here in the church or even outside the church. I mean, the church partners with all kinds of ministries outside the church. There's not a one of us, if Rocky Mountain Calvary is your home church, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he has something for you to do. Maybe you've run a little bit from obedience. God, lo God loves you. God loved Jonah, bless his heart. And God for sure will, will do things to convince you to pay attention to him. But it's a whole lot easier if we just say, Lord, you said it, I gotta go do it. I gotta go do it. Have you, have you ever done that? Have you ever put something off that the Lord asked you to do and then I just miss that? And then have you ever done it the other way where you really felt like God wanted you to do something and you went and stepped out in faith and you did it and there was fruit? No reason why right now in our world, in our country, in our city, in our church, every one of us should be doing that. Oh, certainly the world is against that. My flesh can be selfish against that because it's, it's going to mean some sacrifice. It's going to mean some time. But oh my goodness, what a blessing. What a blessing of obedience. Christ's obedience saved us. Obedient, obedience blesses the Lord. He delights in it. Obedience proves our love for the Lord. Obedience identifies us with Jesus. Obedience puts us in the right place, and it affirms our calling. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness and your love and your word that spurs us on, Lord, to love and good works reminds us of where it is that we stand before you, reminds us that you were obedient and came to us first. And it reminds us that you have something for us to do that will bring joy into our lives, joy into our families' lives, joy into the lives of the people that we serve and that we love, that we work alongside. God, help us to be such a church. You have made us that. Keep us that, Lord, by your grace. 
Help us not to be diverted to the right or to the left. Literally. Help us to be focused on you. Where it is that you're going, what you want to do in this time, in this season of our lives, in our country, and in the world. We thank you and we praise you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.